You're listening to Heating Up the UK, a Miami Heat UK-based podcast. Here's your host, Dan Healy, also known as at the Miami Heat UK. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Heating Up the UK a Miami Heat UK-based podcast. I'm your host, Dan Healy. Before we come on today's episode, please check out the website www.miamiheatuk.com. We have a brand new piece by a debut writer, uh, Aneo has just dropped on his uh, first piece, which is covering the Heat versus Celtics series. Um, So please check that out. It was brilliantly uh, um, articulated there. So uh, please check that out. And on today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined once again by Miami Heat Touchline reporter, Will Menso. Will, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm still on a high, you know, as we tape this from that band play and that crazy finish. So I'm glad that we're, ha- we're having this done after an exciting heat win and not some tough loss. This is pretty incredible. <sighs> Absolutely. Now, Will, obviously, before we come on to that, I mean, the last time we spoke, we was just about to restart the season. Literally, it was days before the start of the of the of bubble life. Could, could you have predicted what has happened? I mean, you know, we, we was we had the, the whole uh, resumption of the regular season to, to finish mm-hmm. off. But then obviously, since playoff basketball was started um, sweeping the paces, we should have swept the Bucks, but if it wasn't for yeah. one stop needed, um, went on to a gentleman's sweep there, and obviously a fantastic game which we're going to cover uh, last night. But did I mean did you see this happening? No, and, and you know I, I love to be honest. As much as I'm a homer, I, I always thought that you know I, I thought the Heat would win the first series. I felt good about that. I thought okay, this is a team, and I thought that all year that their goal in the evolution of what they're trying to get to is you got to win that first round series wherever it may be. Then that second round, you figured it would be Milwaukee, and you thought, okay, make it a competitive series. Maybe things go your way, and you find a way to win. But, I mean, to win, like you said, it should have been a sweep to dominate and win 4-1. to one. And then to enter the series against Boston as, again, the underdog, and to come back down 14 in the fourth quarter mm. and win that game in overtime the way they did. For them to be 9-1, and one, I can't imagine there's a rational human being alive outside of the Heat organization, <laughs> I can tell you. And I'm not even sure you could find somebody inside the Heat organization that could have imagined that they'd be 9-1 in these playoffs and here in the Eastern Conference Finals playing better than any team in the league. Yeah, this is it. And uh, you're absolutely right. I think that even the most optimistic Heat fan didn't have a 9-1 and one start here. And as we come on to uh, to the Boston series, I mean, I've done a few pieces over here in the UK with uh, NBA UK and things like that, mm-hmm. Instagram lives and stuff. And I said, look, this series is is going to be an absolute bloodbath. It is going to mm-hmm. be brutal. They're so well matched up. It's going to be every point is going to be a graph to get to. And we saw... That and more last night in game one. Yeah. It was an absolutely ridiculous game. Um, I said to you just before we came online that, uh, on uh, live that, you know, I, I watch every game live, you know, 11 p.m., 11 30, 12 o'clock, whatever Kudos it is. To you. I, I don't know how you do it. To stay I, that I, get, I, get, I, I watch the games live and then, you know, win, lose, whatever it is, I, I managed to get a few hours sleep before then getting back up for work. And I've got used to that. I've got to come across and that's three, sometimes four times a week. And I've done that all season and I'm used to it. But there was no way after last night's game going, going to bed at half past two and then just going yeah. straight to sleep just like that. It no just way. doesn't no happen. You, the, the heart rate took about three hours to come down. You, you, the adrenaline, 
the um, obviously you want to read all the fallout and you want to see yeah. what's happened and everything. It yeah. was just incredible. So it was probably close to five before I finally got asleep. <laughs> but that game, Will, I mean, let, we'll, we'll go through the, the, the main bits, but obviously the main uh, headline, the block that was heard around the world, especially. Um, two stars, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, going up against each other right at the buzzer. I mean, wow. Uh, when we talk, Will, you've, you've been a fan uh, of this organisation longer than I have by a long way. When you look at uh, Zoe, Bosch, LeBron, these blocks that go down in heat history, that's right up there, isn't it? I think so, you know, because I, the one that always comes to mind for me is the Bosch block because it was so significant in that yeah. Ray Allen game. They go into overtime. Everybody remembers the shot by Ray, and they sometimes forget the block yeah. by CB. So that block to me always has a significance because it was such an incredible play for Chris to go over and not even let Danny Green get a shot. But last night, you know, this game one, you look at the history of the league, you just don't have moments where a player is going to the basket at, like you said, pretty much at the buzzer as, as the clock is winding down and man to man, challenge to challenge, a guy blocks a shot like that at the rim. Not a shot out of the three-point line, not mm -hmm. a layup attempt, a dunk from a forceful and one of the most special players in the league and bam, timed it perfectly. And, and there were so many things that could have gone wrong, you know, in, in this age where we yeah. look at every little angle and you say, well, that was a goaltender. That was a foul. We watched that. You probably watched it a hundred times. I've watched it a hundred times. It, I don't think you could recreate it. He doesn't foul him. He doesn't make any contact with body or hand, and he doesn't make contact with the rim, any kind of goaltending, the strength that it took from Bam, the agility, the ability for him to make that play on a player like Jason Tatum, who is coming downhill with that force, I don't know how you compare it to any dunk, even the Bosch, even those ones you mentioned, even the great moments in Heat history. And let's let's stretch past Heat history, NBA history. When do you have a block, a meeting of players at the rim like that at a moment like that? I can't remember of a moment. It's one of the most impactful, significant, incredible plays ever made at a buzzer of any NBA playoff game. I don't think that's an overstatement. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. And obviously, like you just said there, you've watched it a hundred times. I've watched it a hundred times. I'm sure Heat Nation have watched this more than a hundred times. Now, there was one little thing, actually, that I picked up. Uh, Tatum sort of breezed past uh, Jimmy on the way to that. Do, do, do you think that that was Jimmy just being conscious of no body contact, not committing a foul? Or do you think it was because he thought, bam, he's here to protect the rim? I think it's a little both. I think you're mm. right on to something. Jimmy would never let just a guy go by, but I do think that there's a certain angle. When you see a guy coming full steam down the lane, you're trying to cut off his angle without, you know, impede him to the basket without fouling, without contact, which you know at that moment, the last thing you want to do is foul and put him to the line, hits two free throws, and you go to double overtime. So, but at the same time, the really last thing you want to do is foul him, and he mm. makes the shot. We just saw earlier, Jimmy won the game with his shot and won where Tatum fouled him and he went up and, it, you know, he got up there and it was just, you know, he got caught in midair but made the shot that made the free throw. The last thing you want to do is foul Tatum in that spot and he finishes and then you lose the game. Mm. So I think Jimmy was caught in that in-between where once he blew by, he knew he had help defense, but I don't even think Jimmy knew and I don't think anybody knew two things. One is the rate that Jason Tatum got around. Jason Tatum made an incredible basketball play and that moment to blow past Jimmy Butler and have a legitimate dunk attempt, not some crazy wild shot, a legitimate dunk attempt 
credit to Jason Tatum. He's a special player. But for Bam on help defense to get over there and to make, again, to get in that position, I think Jimmy knew Bam would be there. I don't think he knew that Tatum could get to that point. And I definitely don't know if he would have thought that Bam could then react to that and mm. make that play. He said after the game to Jimmy that that's what Bam's done all season. He has saved us so many times on defense. But even saying that, I just can't imagine that anyone expected it to go down like that. Help defense is one thing. What Bam did wasn't help defense. What Bam did was practically a miracle to per perfectly finish that play without making any mistakes. It's just so hard to do, and it's a credit. You had greatness everywhere. Tatum's drive, Bam's play, it was all great to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, just staying on Bam for a minute, I, I as I said just a minute ago, I've done a, uh, an Instagram live thing with NBA UK, and they were saying, who do I believe is going to be the most important player in this series for Miami? And I said Bam, um, yeah. mainly because I think that, that that's the where we've we've got the noticeable upper hand uh, on the Celtics. With uh, I mean, uh, um, Thies has been brilliant. Um but I think that Bam is definitely the, the upper hand player there and he's got to learn to sort of feast and be aggressive in these situations. Mm -hmm. Now, take away the block from last night. Bam had a decent game, but uh, did, would you say that for the rest of this series, he's got to be a bit more impactful on the offensive end? Well, I think if you look, you know, the storyline up until the last, what, two minutes of regulation was that Jimmy and Bam, neither were necessarily playing to the yeah. level that I think you expect them to play and the level that they really need to play for the Heat to win this series. Jimmy was fine, but he was kind of hesitant at times, wasn't very aggressive with his shot. And sometimes Jimmy does that to facilitate, but I thought he was kind of caught in no man's land a few times. Where Bam, same thing, Bam was getting that play where they run, where Jimmy gives or Gorn gives Bam the ball around the key at the top of the key or on the free throw line, and Bam tries to set the offense, whether attack or kick out. And I thought Bam was a little hesitant at times. And again, it's not really a Bam thing. I think it's a credit to the Celtics. They defensively are the mm -hmm. best team in the bubble in the NBA. They have an elite defense. So you can't just say Bam wasn't aggressive or Bam wasn't himself. Bam was trying to facilitate and move things around. The Celtics were not allowing him to. But to your point, I think the one thing you get out of this game is the Heat didn't even play particularly well. I mean, mm -hmm. I mentioned they were down 14 going, uh, you know, midway or early in the fourth. Jimmy and Bam weren't really themselves until when they were needed in those final moments. So how did they stay in the game? I mean, Goran Dragic had 29. He was phenomenal. Tyler Hero had two big three-pointers in the fourth quarter with three minutes left and with one minute left. He had a great pass as well uh, to set up a play. Jay Crowder, again, another monster game for Jay, hitting three-point shots and getting out there. So when you look at this team, their two all-stars really didn't show up yeah. to their level until – the final two, three minutes of the game and then overtime, and yet they still won. And I think when you look at what the Heat can build off is, you know, hey, Bam, get figure out what they did defensively that kind of got the offense stuck in the mud a bit when you would get the ball inside. Jimmy, same thing. Figure out why you couldn't maybe be more of an attacker like you normally are, and yet you're doing that up 1-0 instead of down 0-1. It's, mm -hmm. it's an incredible position for Miami to be in, given that, quite frankly, they didn't play their best game. They really didn't. Yeah, and that, that's a, that's a really good point. And like when you think that Boston Tatum was brilliant, and I mean the guy, Marcus I'm, I'm Smart not was incredible. Marcus yeah, Smart was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm I'm not a, a, a particular fan of Boston at all. They're one of my <laughs> least favorite franchises. But um, Jason Tatum is a superstar already, and super watching him, 
watching him is is a joy. So he was brilliant last night. As you just said, smart. You're not going to get much more production off of him than you, how, you've got in game one. How much more can you get? He was shooting three-pointers like he was Ray Allen out there. Yeah. And, and you still won the game. That's the crazy that, that, part. You got the it, best of Marcus Smart you won. Exactly. And so so you've got them two that you can't really ask them to be much more. Uh, Brown was fine. Kemba was a bit, a bit cold, but then got better as a, in the fourth quarter when it started to matter. So... They, you may you may look at the Boston uh, performance and go, well, that was them. Have they got much more of a level than that? Whereas you can look at Miami and say, well, we didn't play necessarily that great and we still won, like you just yeah. said. So that's a real, um, real good point. Now, this game was really, it was won in the clutch moments. I mean, the, as you just said, the, the Dragic uh, free, the Hero free, the Jimmy free, and then yep. the Jimmy and one right at the end. Um, now those moments were all made and you could look at that and go, okay, well, sometimes, you know, you won't get that lucky again, but this is where this game was won. Now going under the, it's, it's obviously very, very easy to look at the block. Of course, that was the game winning performance. Jimmy's mm-hmm. and one, Jimmy's free, but Tyler Harrow will, I mean, 20 years old, this kid has just, we, we one of the main things, the, the concerns, the criticisms that were coming Miami's way or not necessarily criticisms, but the concerns were, have this team got the extra playoff level? A lot of rookies in this team, can they go another level? And we've sort of seen with Kendrick coming out of the rotation and Dragic coming in has been a masterstroke. Um, Robinson, not really to his fault, but he's got so much focus on him now that he's not getting to play his usual game uh, where he can get, he can just light up and go off and, and the game just gets away from teams. But Tyler Harrow has always had this aura about him where he is just wired for these moments. But even saying that, Will, he has just been a different level. He's just... The, the IQ of this player, yeah. it's just... I, I mean, I've been so impressed with him. What, what have you made of Tyler's leap? Yeah, well, what I make of it is I don't even consider him a rookie anymore because essentially the hiatus that happened with the NBA was essentially an offseason. And to me, Tyler's really in a second season. I know mm. he's technically a rookie, but he's not playing like one. And I don't even think he was playing like one before, but there were certain things in Tyler's game that he needed a little improvement. His ball handling, his aggression to the basket, that's something that we didn't see much of earlier in his rookie year. The hiatus, though, put him at a spot where he took that that offseason, so to speak, and those months of uncertainty, and he didn't just sit around and, and, and work on his shot. He worked on the mental part, the aggression, mm. the finishing, the wanting the big moments. And I think Eric Spolstra senses that and sees that. His teammates see it as well. Tyler has said many times before – he is built for the big moment. I mean, he went to Kentucky, a school where all you, all they have is big moments. Came to the Miami Heat organization. They drafted him the first round. They said, we want you in those moments. And I think this hiatus, that break, essentially was his offseason. And to me, this is Tyler's second season. Yeah. Because he's come back as a different player. He's come back as a almost looks like a veteran. And the way that they count on him, I mentioned those two shots. The one with three minutes left, they were down six. The one with one minute left, they were down five. When he hit those two threes. It wasn't just that he hit them. It's that he hit them early in the shot clock and with confidence. To, you know, down five with a minute six left. He's got the ball at the top of the three-point line. He just sits there with 15 seconds left in the shot clock, and he sees a shot. He takes it. He swishes it. It's a two-point game. You just don't see that confidence and that belief in rookies in those moments. You know, his ability to be around the ball. He had 11 rebounds. His ability mm-hmm. to facilitate. I talked about that pass that he threw down low. When he had a shot, he passed it up. He threw Nine assists. Tyler Hero plays like a veteran, and he's only a rookie technically. So I think what we have seen, 
again, it goes back to what we talked about that they're kind of, could you have imagined nine and one? No, I couldn't have. I also couldn't have imagined this Tyler Hero this quickly in these moments. I think, I believe that the Heat felt that's what he could be, but I sure as heck didn't buy that it was going to be in this postseason and in these moments, like in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it is just incredible. I mean, he was 12 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. So one assist short of a triple-double triple in the East, yeah. in, in the Eastern Conference Finals as a rookie still, which is incredible. Years 20 yeah. years old. But as I said, I just find that I watch his performances and it's not just, you know, when he first came in, we, we knew he was going to be this sniper and he was he lived up mm-hmm. to the expectation. But I just think that since the restart, you know, we're seeing him drive to the basket a lot more now. Not just driving to the basket, but making the basket as well. Yep. You know, you don't see him, he's not missing that. The, com- like the confidence, he sees the pass. His IQ is just off the charts. And I think for a guy who is still technically a rookie, it's so exciting. And, you know, we, we've seen... You know, I love, I, I know uh, Heat Twitter and all sorts just love to get involved in trade scenarios about getting the next star. Can we get a Bradley Bill? Can we get a Oladipo, Giannis, whoever it may be? And they're yeah. saying, well, we'd have to give up Hero and that would be the, you know, the minimum you'd expect. Is it the time where we have to start going, look, Hero is now off the table in trade scenarios because he's, he, where's the ceiling? Where's the ceiling? Yeah. Well, I mean, the ceiling is incredible because you see him right now with the aggression, the ability. I mean, is he Devin Booker, you know, a former Kentucky player as well? Is that what he's going to be, where he can just be a super scorer that attacks? Uh, is he just going to be more – is this, you know, I, I don't think this is the ceiling. I don't see how at 20 and with the growth he's made already, this is a ceiling. So he has got so much more to grow. I think to your point, this is what I tell fans when they ask me about trades. Look, we know in Pat Riley's history he always wants more. And he always wants more superstars. And he's, and he said as much in the last couple of off seasons, like, Hey, we want more. He's talked about the whale and, and getting these super players and these stars. And they went out and got Jimmy Butler to build a consistent winner. You're likely going to have to have another so-called star. But I think what we're seeing is that Bam Adebayo is already an all-star. He's becoming a star. Mm-hmm. Tyler Hero has got star potential. So where do you draw the line on that? I still, this is what I tell you fans. I still think the Heat are going to focus when it, that time comes to get a Giannis, an Oladipo, a Bradley Beal, whoever is that superstar that's out there. Hey, Kawhi Leonard, look what happened yeah. to the Clippers. Maybe he becomes available again with the option that he has in 2021. I think you have to keep your eyes on that. But big picture, you're in pretty good shape as is. You're three games away from the NBA Finals with the roster as constructed. So I wouldn't get caught up in trade scenarios. If it's Tyler, it's whatever. Pat Riley knows that if he can get a superstar, you got to give to receive. You got to give up something. But Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo are two names that you heard often when it would talk about trade scenarios. And right now, I don't think there's one Heat fan in the world that's worried about trading one of those guys because right now they are as good of a position as you can get uh, nine to one in the playoffs and up a game in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it's just crazy when you think that, you know, we're talking about these whales and all Kawhi Leonard's here and Giannis and it's Kumpo there. Yeah. And you think, I'll take well, a baby was... goat. I'll take a baby goat over a whale right now. I'm okay <laughs> exactly. with that. Exactly. And you think, well, what what a way, what a position to be in, whereas the worst yeah. we're going to get is, well, we'll run it back with what we've got and they'll just keep yeah. developing and keep Gee, getting better. How, how awful is that, right? You got a, an all-star, a budding all-star, you know, and another all I mean, come on. This team is... On the rise. And to me, they're a year early. I don't think any Heat fan yep. truly expected this would be the run this year. They thought maybe next year. This mm-hmm. is, you're, you're playing with house money at this point. Yeah. And then when, and just incredible when you think of what this roster was just a year ago, 
to what it is now. Just unrecognisable, just incredible, incredible transformation. Um, moving on slightly to uh, another guy who has just been on a tear uh, since we've come into the playoffs, and that is Goran Dragic. Um, oh, yeah. Another monstrous performance last night, 29 points, uh, uh, which led the Heat in scoring. He's averaging 22 points a game. He's had seven 20-point-plus games in the playoffs so far. Mm-hmm. Is this Goran's best career basketball we're seeing right now? I think so. I, I think because, look, Goran's a former, he's an all-star. He's a former All-NBA kind of player, second team. I mean, Goran Dragic has, has been a good player in this league for a very long time. Yeah. But I don't know if he's ever had the consistency to be at this level so much at this stage. And I was asked, I was on another show, on a local radio show, and they said, hey, going into the playoffs, what was your key? And I said, my key, I know a lot of people say, hey, Bam and Jimmy. But to me, those were givens. I, Bam's going to get you those double-doubles and be that do everything guy. Jimmy's going to be Jimmy. Jimmy's aggressive attacking. He's the leader to me that he needed someone to be at an all-star caliber because to win in this league, you need stars and you can't just make up stars out of the sky and just pull them up and you're a star. And Goran Dragic has been playing like an all-star in this series. You mentioned the stats, the 20 plus, not just the, the, when, you know, the, the points that come, but when they come, we saw it in the moments in game one against Boston, hitting the big shots. We saw the dagger in game five. Remember, don't forget game five against Milwaukee hit a dagger shot. I mean, Gorn is playing like one of the best point guards in the league at 33 years old Mm. and having spent the entire season as a reserve as one of the best six men in the league. So to me, the most important thing in this playoffs, yeah, the young guys, Tyler, we talked about, has been great, his evolution. Bam, the incredible play. Jimmy, the leader. Jay Crowder has been great as well. He's been an X factor. But Gorn Dragic playing like an all-star and playing like like a superstar, really, has been the key to this postseason. Without Goran Dragic, the Heat aren't in the position they're in right now. Even close to it, he has bailed them out so many times in this postseason. Yeah, and uh, I mean, last night he was just a joy. I mean, he's been brilliant all the way through, but it just seemed like every time he got the ball, you just knew, you had the faith knew that it. he was going to do something with it. There was, It's just mind-blowing, really, what, what we're getting off of a guy, as you just say there, 33 years old, and he's playing at this sort of production. Yeah. Um, it's just huge for Miami, huge. And someone also coming on to yet another player, it just seems incredible we keep going from player to player, but this is how this team is, is, is built up now. Um, yeah. Someone that goes under the radar a little bit, Jay Crowder. Um, yeah. Again, uh, another incredible three-point uh, shooting performance yesterday. Five from nine from three, 22 points. Um, Jay has just been um, one. Would you say that probably from us being uh, what we was, which was a very mm-hmm. good team, very competent team, to now a genuine title contender, I would personally say that one of the main attributes of that have been because of this acquisition of Crowder yeah. since he's come in. And also the switch, and this gives like, Spo a lot of credit because I'm a massive, massive Myers Leonard fan. But since we've had this switch and Jay has come in, we just mm-hmm. look a different animal, and that is all down to the player. Um, yeah. How much, how, how much of, a, of, a, of a difference into becoming, as I said, a, a very good, competent team to now a bona fide challenger? Is that down to Jay? Absolutely. And I think that's that's the biggest surprise of this team, I think. Tyler's ascension, while it's been while it's been great and it's been rapid, hasn't been a surprise. He was a first round pick, a lottery choice. He was expected to be a quality player, maybe not this quickly. We mentioned Gorn. Gorn's a future uh, or a former, I should say, all-star and all NBA. I mean, Gorn Dragic, it's not like he was a bad player, it just became good. But Jay Crowder was always kind of that. You know, that guy on a vet, that veteran on a team who would give the, you know, do the dirty work, get that loose ball, 
hit a shot now and then and attack and get you some points, play defense. But what Jay Crowder has become is a defensive stopper in the last series going up against Giannis, giving Jimmy that break to be able to defend someone else. In the three-point shooting, you mentioned five of nine in game one. Jay Crowder was shooting in the 20s and, and low 30s when he got here. I mean, that was about as good as it gets from three. Now he's shooting near the mid-40s from three. <laughs> uh, it's incredible. And I think two things have happened. Number one is Jay has felt rejuvenated in the heat culture and in the and the ability to be himself. They count on him. He's not just a, a little spare part. He's the glue guy. He's part of it. And when you look back at that trade for Andre Godala, Jay Crowder almost seemed like a throw-in. Mm. That's what it felt like. Like, oh, yeah, they get Jay Crowder. Yeah, he's a good player. He's had some good – you know, he's played on some good teams. He's got playoff experience. Great. you got a veteran guy. He's turned into a starter and a glue guy. And part two of it is not just the opportunity and the belief. It's Eric Spolster saying to Jay, Jay, shoot. Shoot. I don't care. The other day in the Milwaukee series, he had a game where he shot 11 threes. And after the game, Spo was asked about it. He said, is that what he took, 11? Tell him to take 13, 14. I don't care. Keep shooting. And when you have that kind of confidence from a staff, from a head coach, from teammates, it just makes your, your game, your confidence level to your overall game even better. But I think Jay is the biggest surprise. I knew Jay Crowder was a quality veteran NBA player. I knew he would help this team. I didn't know he would help save this team in the biggest of moments throughout the postseason. He's been, I mean, and again, you haven't mentioned Andre Vidala, who gives you those yep. spurts of defense in those moments that you knew you'd get. But when you throw in Jay Crowder, wow, was that a trade, a win for the Miami Heat getting Iggy and Crowder before the deadline? Yeah, it's incredible. And as I said, he's just been the difference maker for me. And that trade just seems like, a, you know, there was a lot of split on that trade where people yeah. that was upset. To understandably, lose understandably. Un understandably yeah. exactly. And um, and you just look at it now and you just think, wow, I mean, what a difference it's made. So, uh, yeah, just just brilliant. And, and absolutely, yeah, hats off to Jay. He's been just superb. Three-point shoots and defending. Just, the, as you said, the glue that, he's, that holds us together, I think he's been uh, an incredible acquisition. Now, going through the, the, the roster now, again, last night, we saw the team go quite deep again. You know, Kendrick Nunn, Ari Godala, mm -hmm. Kelly Olinick, Derek Jones, all getting minutes. Um, do you think that that's something, albeit this was an overtime game, so I get that, but do you think that this is going to sharpen up now? I mean, the Kendrick, again, struggled a little bit last night. Do you start to see that maybe that this is now going to become a, a seven or eight man rotation for the rest of the series or not? I don't think so. I think Spo, Spo finds moments where he feels he needs guys. And it's interesting because Kendrick came in the game and at first he, he, didn't, he seemed like he had good energy, you know, like he was, he was in the right frame of mind. Then he missed a couple shots and then it got him out of rhythm. I think what we saw in the Milwaukee series is that when Kendrick gets going early, Spo will stick with him. And Spo tried to stick with him into the fourth and hope that he'd make a shot. And right away when he felt that that wasn't there, I mean, a minute or two into the fourth, he pulled Kendrick and he didn't play the rest of the game. And I think that's a credit to Spo. So to answer your question, I don't think Spo's locking the rotation down to seven, eight guys. I don't because look at Derek Jones Jr. came in to cover Tatum in those final moments of regulation. Spo understands there are moments where you could use these guys, but I think the recognition Spo has and why he knows this team so well, it's what makes him a great coach, is that he can see right away, hey, this guy's got it. This guy can help us or this guy can't tonight. And if they can't, I'm pulling them. And if he can, I'm keeping them in. It goes for Kendrick. It goes for KO. It goes for Derrick Jones Jr. It pretty much goes for any of the bench players outside of Tyler, who's so significant in what he does. So when you look at that, I think Spoge is going to keep going with matchups. There are going to be games where Kendrick may only get a two, three, five-minute run. There are going to be games in this series where Kendrick's going to hit a few shots, 
and Spoh's going to stick with him because he likes the energy. We saw it in the Milwaukee series. There's no reason to believe that won't happen in this series or if they get to the NBA Finals. I know Heat fans have soured a bit on Kendrick Nunn. I understand he's not playing like the player he was the first half mm-hmm. of his rookie season. But Kendrick overcame a lot dealing with COVID, had to get himself back into shape, is get himself back into rhythm. The players and staff believe in him. I think he'll keep getting run. I think Derek will find his spots. KO, obviously, vital as well in his moments. I think Spoh's going to stick with what's got him here. They're 9-1. and one. He's not going to change things up too much. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And it is, you, I'm, I'm pleased you highlighted that with Kendrick as well, because sometimes it is very easy to just overlook the fact that he was so good as a starter mm-hmm. in, the, in the regular season, especially how he started the season. He's struggling. And, Look, there's no doubt he's struggling. I mean, that yeah. that's goes without saying. He is struggling. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he, he came out, he, he had COVID, he's had to come over there, he's had to adjust to the fact that he's now off the bench, you know, and he's still a young guy. So, um, yeah. you know, let, let, and he's still in his rookie season. So, yeah, he'll still find minutes. And yeah, I'm pleased you mentioned about Spo as well, because, you know, he's always found these ways of make, doing the right thing, making the right calls, making the right adjustments when it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's up against another very elite coach here in Brad Stevens. I mean, who, who's going to come out better in, in the coaching duel here? I'll take Spo 100 out of 100 times. <laughs> but I would say that to just about any coach. You know, Greg Popovich is the standard of the NBA. And I think, you know, I most would say he's the best coach in the league. But when I look around the league, I know Steve Kerr's a phenomenal coach. You look at the job Nick Nurse has done in Toronto, he's a phenomenal coach. But I put my money on Eric Spolstra every single time because Spo isn't just a great head coach, he's a great psychologist. Spo mm. understands the mental part of the game better than anyone I've ever been around. He understands which buttons to push and press of his players. He understands how to get in their mind and make them believe in what they need. No one works harder. No one studies more. No one preps more. No one gets his players more prepared to me in the NBA than Eric Spolstra. And I know that I sound like a homer saying that. I've known Spo for a long time. I respect him. I think he's a great person, a great leader. But you talk around people in the NBA and other coaches and other players, they all say the same thing. Man, when you play for Eric Spolstra, he brings the best out of you. And so when you talk about the psychological angle of it and what he brings out of players, the strategy angle, yesterday going to the zone early, disrupted the Celtics. He went man-to-man a bit, went back to the zone, it disrupted him some more. Spo just knows how to push and manage and do the right things in the biggest moments. I put my money on Spo every single time. And that's not to take away from Brad Stevens. I think he's a very good head coach. I think he understands and knows his team well. But to me, Eric Spolstra is one of the top coaches in the NBA. He's a future Hall of Famer, and he's still a young guy. You know, he's only a few yeah. years older than I am, so I'd like to say that he's still a young guy with <laughs> a lot of NBA coaching left. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just great, Will. I mean, I just love love listening to you there in full full flow because just you just nod along with a with a big smile, and I just yeah, it, it, we're just we're we're just so well shaped now, and it's just incredible yeah. when you think that we've got the structure, we've got the the guys that have been here all the way through these heat yeah. lifers. Um, and now a, a fantastic roster that goes so deep, um, space that can open up when it matters in, in terms of cap space for, for 2021. Um, the future looks bright, but right now in the present, well, I mean, we had an incredible game one just there. Do you see that this is how it's going to be for the rest of this series? And what is oh, your yeah. prediction? Yeah. Yeah. Look, before the series, I thought Heat and six. I really did. I thought the Heat just were a better basketball team right now. They're peaking. They're playing their best. I know peaking is a kind of a cliche term, but... To me, given all the uncertainty that we've had to deal with the last few months, you didn't know how a team was going to come back together. The Heat have come back together as looking like an elite team. There's no reason to think they won't continue it. Number two is they believe. They bought in. They Mm -hmm. believe it. When they were down 14 yesterday, 
I, I don't think there was a soul there, certainly not on that, on that bench and that staff and those players that thought they weren't going to come back and win that game. They had me believing. Normally, I'd be like, man, you're down 14 in the fourth against a team with that defense. This might be one of those nights where it just doesn't happen and you lose. I was sitting there going, no, they're going to make this. I tweeted. I said, this is going to be a tie game with two minutes left when they were down mm -hmm. 14 because I'm like, I just believe this team. And they came all the way back, forced overtime. So to answer your question, I think this team is going to win this series. I think they're going to win it in six. I think this is just right now a better basketball team than the Boston Celtics. I don't know if there's a team right now playing better in the NBA, certainly record-wise in this postseason. There's just a little magic about this team and a belief around this team that they are going to get to the NBA Finals, and I'm certainly not going to be the one to bet against them. Yep, I totally agree. I totally agree. And uh, I said the same when I was asked this question the other day. I said, yep, I went bullish on the Bucks series. I said heat in six. And that was that was tame in the end. It should have been a sweep, okay. as I said. I thought and the it was same thing. Five. I thought he did, I thought so, he did six as well against Milwaukee, yeah. Yep. So I'm, I'm going with the same again. And um, yeah, one thing I kept saying, the word I kept using was the series is going to be a bloodbath. And we saw it every is. single every well, single minute of that was. Fight, a bloodbath, a battle. I mean, this, look, no one... If the Celtics win a game, I don't think they're going to win a game going away. And I certainly don't think the Heat are going to win a game going away. I don't think they're going to have 10, 15 point wins nah. in this series. But I think the Heat are equipped and capable to win games like they did last night. That's what they do. Yeah. Okay. Well, final question before I let you go. Can the Heat win the title? I, like Udonis Haslam said when he was asked, uh, I don't know if it was before the Milwaukee series, I think he was asked, he said, why the hell not? Why yeah. the hell not? Why not? Yeah, like why at this point, how can you say no? Now look, the Clippers are out. I thought that was gonna be a brutal matchup if it got to my for Miami. You look at the Lakers, you know, with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, obviously they have star power, but the Heat have the ability to slow down stars. And then when you start getting into secondary guys, I'll take the Heat secondary guys over the Lakers secondary guys any day of the week. The yeah. Lakers would have the best two players in the series if it was the Heat and the Lakers in the finals, just you know, if it got to that point. LeBron and AD are two of the top five players in the league, I think most would say. But when you look at the secondary guys, the Heat can slow those guys down, not stop them, slow them down. And the secondary guys and the depth Miami have, why not? And Denver, the same thing. Denver has Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and, and special players. Same thing, though. I mean, to me, Miami matches up well as far as their depth and their ability for whether it be Tyler or Gorn or Jay or if we get a dunking game, obviously Jimmy and Bam, KO. I why the hell not? I mean, the Heat can absolutely win a title. But let's let's win three more against Boston. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then worry about that. Because let me tell you, three more against Boston isn't going to be easy. No, absolutely. And uh, the next game is crucial because that's the hardest game, game two. Because, you know, what? What a, when, when you go 2-0 down, and I know that Boston oh, went 2-0 yeah. up against Raptors, but that's yeah. uh, and then go back to all. But that's a huge game. So, yeah, let's yeah. not get ahead of ourselves. But Get that yes. game two. Get that game two. You feel pretty good. You feel pretty good. Yep. And then, um, yeah, as you just said. Why the hell not? Will, right. um, brilliant. Loved that episode. Always great talking after a big win. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I hope you really enjoy the, the rest of the series, as we all will. Right. But um, thank you very much for joining me. Just before you go, as always, where can everybody find you on Twitter? You can always find me. My, my personal account, where I always joke with you guys, is at Will Manso. It's just W-I-L Manso, M-A-N-S-O. And then my work account, where I link stories, is at Will Manso, W-P-L-G. So it's just got the station letters where I tweet out stories and things like that. And you can always at me. We can chat. Uh, I always love talking Heat basketball. It's, it's a lot of fun. So let's hope we talk during the finals. I would like that. Let's hope. That's brilliant. Will, thank you very much for joining me. Guys out there, can the Heat win? Why the hell not? Let's go and get it. Exactly. See you soon.